Well, we start into our new series today. Lots of prayer, lots of preparation, and we're going to be walking through the book of Matthew. We're going to be on this journey, uh, step by step, through the gospel of Matthew uh, for quite some time. And we're going to experience God together through the book of Matthew. So I invite you to open up your Grant Memorial app. Hit the home button here. Um, and one of the things we've done for you, I tell you, we, we try to be good to you guys, right? Providing all these tools for you to engage God's word um, is when you open up the app, you'll come to the home page right here. Right? And then if you hit Bible, look at that. It's queued up every week. So you don't have to be embarrassed about, where's Nehemiah? And you're kind of going to the table. Like, What's that over there? You look at the table of contents, create a distraction, right? So I can... Um, it's, it's queued up every week. And by the way, um, if you downloaded the app, then you would have received the app exclusive content last week. And I already have a significant chunk of material that I know I won't get to today that I'm planning on uploading next week. So you want to be sure and get the app so you can have, um, the app exclusive content. I want to encourage you to take notes today. If you see your bulletin, lots of good information in there, but on the back, uh, sermon notes. It looks like Ken was doodling during the last service, <laughs> but I want you to encourage you to take some notes um, because it's always, this is a practice that's always good, but maybe especially today. Or look, we have, we have your chair Bibles, page 1467 in your chair Bibles. Um, I encourage you to switch hands week to week or otherwise one bicep um, will be bigger than the other. And so you need to uh, this is a um, this is a Texas-sized Bible. Let me give you a praise report before we jump in today. You know, months ago we bought a thousand Bibles. We updated our chair Bibles to this one right here. Um, we really researched it and found this was a, a Bible that I really like because it's accessible. Because someone that doesn't isn't familiar with the Bible it has tools for people that can, can uh, at all levels. And let me just tell you, we have given out over 500 Bibles. Over 500 Bibles have walked in. That's powerful, right? Because I have a conviction in the Word of God. Hopefully you know that if you listen to me preach, but also just it's living and active. And so we're sending the Bible, not just on Sunday. We're not just opening it on Sunday, but we're hopefully sending it into people's lives, into people's homes, and ultimately into people's hearts. So if you don't have a Bible, please take one of these, right? We're not bemoaning the fact that we just ordered 500 more Bibles. We're rejoicing. That's a, that's a praise report. I hope we have to order 500 Bibles every three months, right? That would be a, um, a beautiful thing. So as we, as we turn to God's word today, um, I want to encourage you to take notes. It's a good practice every Sunday, but especially today. I'm usually a preacher that teaches, but today I feel like I'm shifting a little bit where it's going to be more uh, teaching than preaching. Do you understand the difference? I feel like I'm usually more emotive, and, and yes, there's truth, uh, but I'm trying to communicate it in a way that really captivates our hearts, uh, whereas today I've been studying and reading so much, and I really want to... Um, really want to share with you what I've been shown. I told somebody last week that I feel like I have the curiosity and the wonder of a kid as I walk through scripture. 
You see new things. You see God revealing things where the Spirit of God is illuminating the Word of God. And by the way, that's not reserved for pastors and preachers and religious professionals. The same Spirit of God that's in my life is in your life if you're a Christian here today. You are a priest. That means you don't need a middleman. You don't need a professional. You can read and interpret the Word of God for yourself. So this journey of discovery that I've been on, the Spirit of God as the ultimate translator of truth, the Spirit of God, the one that wrote the Bible is the one that's teaching me about it. He's the professor. I'm sitting in his class every day as I open the Bible. And you, there's a seat in that class for you, for every Christian. And so it's this journey of discovery, this wonder and awe and curiosity at the scriptures and how it all ties together. Four centuries, four centuries of prophetic silence. If you missed last week, go to grantmemorial.ca, click on the sermon tab, and you can catch the prequel to the kingdom series. Four centuries of prophetic silence is broken in Matthew chapter three, verse one. And we'll get to Matthew one in just a moment, in a few moments. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So after 400 years of prophetic silence, the first word that God chooses to speak to break the long silence is what? Repent. Wow. Not missed you guys. Have you been? It's been a while. But repent. For the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this brings us to our series, which we've entitled The Kingdom. As you look at the Gospels and the best preacher that has ever lived, The best preacher that's ever walked the planet. Who was it? (laughs) Who said it up here? Good job. Come on, 50-50 chance, right? Jesus. (laughs) You get a gold star, whoever that was right there. But some of you might be thinking, well, Billy Graham or Charles Hatton Spurgeon or whatever. The list goes on and on of some pretty great Bible teachers and communicators, but all of them are a distant second to God. God as the ultimate preacher, Jesus, the image of the invisible God. So Jesus as the ultimate preacher, he had a favorite topic. This was the favorite sermon subject of the Savior. What was it? He talked about it all the time. The kingdom of God. Jesus talked about the kingdom. He told stories about the kingdom, parables about the kingdom. And so I think it's important for us to understand something that was so important to Jesus. Would you agree with that? Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, which we will eventually get to, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So the kingdom is primary in the ministry of Jesus. And we are commanded to seek it first. And this is a present imperative, which means seek and keep on seeking the kingdom of God. That means continue seeking, never stop seeking the kingdom of God. But what is it? That's the question. If I were to give a pop quiz today, and some of you students probably had a pop quiz in your classes this path, they still give pop quizzes? Or does that um, somehow create an unsafe space for people. (laughs) Don't want to traumatize you guys today. Up, I quiz. 
No, a pop quiz, if I were to ask you to, if I were to ask you one question, one question quiz, what is the kingdom of heaven? If we were to hand out pieces of paper or have pull out that little connect card and on the back it has these, the section where you can write and I were to say, pull out your little connect card and here's the pop quiz. It's a one question quiz, pass or fail. What is the kingdom of heaven? How would you do? Remember now, this is the favorite subject of Jesus. The favorite sermon topic of the Savior. I believe it's important for us to be able to understand and explain something that was the main thing that Jesus talked about. One author puts it this way. The New Testament scholars generally agree that the burden of Jesus' message was the kingdom of God. The same message was entrusted to the 12 disciples and to the band of 70 and a later mission. Here it is. The critical problem arises, however, from the fact that Jesus nowhere defined what he meant by that phrase. So he talks about the kingdom based upon the assumption that his original audience understood what he was saying. No one asked a question even. Um, Jesus? What is the kingdom? This thing you talk about all the time. What is it? We're supposed to seek it, right? We're supposed to base our lives on the ethics of the kingdom, on the principles of the kingdom. We're supposed to be citizens, representatives of the kingdom. But what is it? The key to understanding the gospel, gospels in Matthew in particular is the interpretive key the Rosetta Stone, the interpretive key to understanding the message of Christ is the kingdom. The kingdom is the key to properly interpret the message of Jesus. One author provides this definition. The kingdom as the personal, the kingdom as the personal relationship between man and God, the individual's experience of God's sovereignty over his life when he recognizes God's right to rule and submits his will to God. The presence of God's kingdom means the dynamic presence of his reign. It means that God is no longer waiting for men to submit to his reign, but has taken the initiative and has invaded history in a new and unexpected way. So there was clashing concepts of the kingdom the tension in the gospels between the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes and Jesus, they had an idea of this kingdom that was going to arrive, that was going to boot the Romans, the kingdom, the Messiah was going to roundhouse kick Caesar in the face. And God's rule, God's people, the Gentiles would be punished. Israel would be exalted. And so when Jesus came in as the suffering servant and he presents a different view of the kingdom, it didn't align with their view of the kingdom. They responded with hostility. Another author provides some clarity on the kingdom when he says this, the kingdom of God is manifested on earth and in the present in the existence of human subjects who own God as their king who look to him for protection, guidance, and a rule of life, who offer to him their absolute loyalty, complete trust, and willing obedience. When you pledge allegiance to a Lord, when you bow your knee and you pledge your loyalty and your obedience to someone that has absolute power, 
someone that can provide protection, someone that can provide guidance and support in return for your allegiance. We'll come back to that. The kingdom of heaven, I believe, is active now, but will be completed at some point in the future when Jesus returns in his glory. So the kingdom, in my view, is already, but not yet. Like someone who is pregnant. They are pregnant, but the baby really hasn't arrived yet. The baby is here. The baby is there. The baby is alive, but it hasn't been born yet. The kingdom of heaven is already here, but not yet complete. It is inaugurated, but not yet consummated. And so we go to Matthew chapter 1. And we're not going to get very far today. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And Matthew begins with the part that we skim. Come on. I'm calling us all out here, right? If it were me, if I were making a movie, right, and that's kind of what we would do in modern times, if I were a director, a writer, a producer, I would start with chapter two, right? The coming of the Magi, that's captivating, that's gripping, right? These, these wise men that travel from afar, following the star, right? That's, that's, that, that grips me right out of the gate, right? But this, this is like starting a movie with the credits. How many of y'all stay for the credits? Oh, come on. Are you serious? We're in church, man. You telling the truth? (laughs) And they're going super fast. And I'm like, man, it takes like 800 people to make this movie. How can 800 people make such a lame movie, right? They're all working together. But this is like the biblical credits that they begin with. But it's, uh, just wait, just hold on, because it is gripping if you have the right perspective. It is captivating if you have the right understanding of what Matthew is doing here. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. All right, so listen, this, the original audience right there, that was the hook. This reached out and grabbed them and brought them in. Why? Because they have been living under the boot heel of the one world superpower for generations. And there is a longing for deliverance. They're dreaming about it. They're longing for it. They're praying for it. God deliver us in the same way that the Israelites groaned under the slavery and bondage of the Egyptians. Now they've groaned under the slavery and bondage of multiple world powers. And the latest one in the days of Christ is the Roman empire. And so when, when Matthew right out of the gate says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the what? The Messiah. And to our Gentile minds, we read right over that. We skim that, but to that Jewish mindset, this is the root of their hopes and their dreams. And again, there's a clashing view of what this means, but they are longing for freedom. And so they're gripped by it, but then it goes on. The genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is huge. This is a pregnant passage that's full of truth. It's a heavy passage. The first verse here is an incredible bridge between 
the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Because if he didn't get you with Messiah, he surely gripped you with David. David, the glory days of God's people, the warrior king. This is what they dreamed about. The Messiah, the coming of the kingdom of God. One author notes, and listen closely, a lot in here. Indeed, a new age has begun, but it is the but it is new because after centuries of Israel's failure, and again, go back to last week, or just flip open the Old Testament to any particular page, and it's highly likely you're going to land on a failure of God's people. Right? They're consistently disappointing. It's discouraging. It's depressing. It's demoralizing. But it's also encouraging. Because come on. How many of us resonate with that? I say, if God didn't give up on them, hallelujah. There's hope for me. There's hope for us all. When you see what they did and the way, I mean, they, they, they walk away from the literal presence of God and make an idol and worship it. It's like, oh, okay. Thank you, God, um, that I'm not alone in my brokenness and inconsistency. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. The failure of the covenant promises of God to Abraham and David are finding fulfillment in their son, Jesus Christ. God's covenant with Abraham lays the foundation for the entire history of redemption recorded in the scriptures. So Matthew begins his genealogy of Jesus at this point. God promised Abraham by linking Jesus to Abraham. Matthew declares that God's promise of blessing to the nations is now being fulfilled through Jesus. If Jesus is the one through whom the promise is being fulfilled, then he can lay claim to being Abraham's true descendant, the one who is what a descendant of Abraham was supposed to be. Jesus then is the true Israel, the one who does everything that Israel was supposed to do and who is everything that Israel was supposed to be. Jesus is the remnant who represents the hope and rebirth of Israel announced through the prophets. A second Old Testament promise is equally important for the shape and scope of this genealogy. God promised David that his house and kingdom would be secure forever and that the throne of his offspring would be established forever. The promised son of David will be the representative embodiment of Israel through whom the nations will be blessed. The focus of Matthew's genealogy is crystal clear. The significance of Jesus is deeply rooted in the history of the Old Testament Israel, so deeply that the blessings promised to the Old Testament Israel find their ultimate fulfillment only through him. There's a lot in there. You might want to go back when they upload this and listen to that one again. But these promises, so it's not just a, 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 a reference that reference is directly connected to the covenant promises of God, the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. And to our Gentile minds, we miss it all. Oh, Father Abraham had many sons. That's what we think about, right? Oh, nostalgia. But what did the original audience, which was primarily Jewish, what did they think about? When, they're, when they hear the word Messiah, they're thinking God's kingdom is about to arrive. When they hear the word David, they're thinking that is, man, I'm looking for David 2.0. They're thinking William Wallace. They're thinking Maximus. They're thinking someone that's going to lead the charge. 
that's going to usher in a second golden age for God's people. The central theme of Matthew's gospel is fulfillment. The opening genealogy is designed to portray the coming of the Messiah as the climax of of, of the history of God's people. And the remainder of chapters one and two directs readers' attention to the wide variety of aspects of God's revelation in the Old Testament, which find their fulfillment, and that's the word, their fulfillment in Jesus. There's a pattern in the Old Testament that we see reflected in the life of Christ. The old covenant is foreshadowing the new covenant. And we, as new covenant people, as Christians, we have to read the Old Testament through the lens of the new. The primary interpretive key of understanding the Old Testament is looking through the New Testament, the completed work of Christ. This is called progressive revelation as God's plan of redemption unfolds over time. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul said, what we have now, the prophets dreamed about. They dreamed about their greatest prayers we take for granted. Their wildest dreams is our reality. And the apostle Paul says, what we have now supersedes what they had then. We have a superior connection with God because of the gospel, because of Jesus. So don't take it for granted. We have to understand in order to appreciate what God has done. Jesus comes out of Egypt. It's the same way that Israel came out of Egypt. Exodus chapter four. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me out of bondage and into freedom. You remember Jesus was in Israel and then out of Israel, God called Jesus. Jesus leading a new exodus out of slavery to sin and into the freedom of forgiveness. Deuteronomy chapter 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command you. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Israel was tempted in the wilderness. And the nature of the temptations were fundamentally the same. And where Israel failed and that they consistently caved to temptation, Jesus succeeded. You see this, where Adam failed in his disobedience, and so all of us fall under the, the, the federal headship of Adam. He is representative of humanity. Now Jesus has the second Adam. Now in his obedience, we have access to reconnect with God. Israel failed multiple times in the wilderness. They were tested and they failed the test. Jesus for 40 days, Israel for 40 years, Jesus tested in the wilderness and where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. It is written. That's how he, that's how he defeated Satan and that's how we defeat Satan. Jesus chose how many disciples? Come on, somebody up here. Yeah, (laughs) don't make eye contact. (laughs) Jesus chose 12 disciples. Is that familiar? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Israel had how many sons? 12, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jesus even says to his apostles, his disciples, you will sit on 12 thrones. 
and you will judge the 12 tribes. Conditional blessings in the Old Testament based upon the requirement of obedience. There's this prerequisite of obedience. It's basically the book of Deuteronomy, right? Verse after verse, if you obey my law, if you obey my commands, then here's how I will bless you. And then boom, he goes, if you disobey, here's the curse. So you have the blessing for obedience, the curse for disobedience, and how we access the blessings of the covenant is through the prerequisites of obedience to God, perfect obedience to God. And here's the beauty of the gospel. What makes the good news, great news, is that we have access to the covenant blessings of God through the perfect obedience of Christ. And so as you see, these two key covenants in the Old Testament, which I won't go into them in depth, you'll have to look at the app this week because I have a whole bunch of verses here. 2,000 years before Jesus was Abraham, and God makes this incredible promise to this nobody, this nomad, literally a nomad. He's not Alexander the Great category. This guy is a shepherd in the back 40 of nowhere. And God says, hey, you, me, hey, Abram, through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. You got to remember now, this is pre-Wi-Fi. I mean, this is way, way. So there's a, there's a, people lived and died within about a hundred mile area. They, the world, what are you talking the, the planet is going to be somehow impacted by this God's faith. It's the Abrahamic covenant. It's incredible. And, it, and then it gets reinforced in Acts chapter 3, the second sermon of Peter. It gets really reinforced in Galatians chapter 3 through the apostle Paul. And then a thousand years before Christ, David. And you go back to the source material. Right? You go back and, and see, see this promise that God made to David, that one of your descendants will be on the throne forever. And I wish they had the echo effect. Forever. <laughs> one of your descendants. How does that happen? How can God make such an audacious promise to this king that really isn't the king of much, even in the glory days of Israel? It didn't even come close to fulfilling the promises made about Israel. Even in the glory days of David and Solomon, they were just a fraction of a percentage of the planet. Now, people on the other side of the planet, people over in Asia, Israel who? David, you know, like, and so how can God make this promise? Again, it's fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Jesus as the son of David, the son of Abraham, the, the nations are impacted through Abraham, because of Christ, because of the obedience of Christ, then the, the throne of David is now eternally filled because of Jesus. Jesus is on the throne now. Where's Jesus now? Of course, some of you, some of you are keeners. You're like, he's everywhere. Or you might even use, you get bonus points. You might even use the big word. Pastor, he's omnipresent. Gold star, right? He's in my heart. Yes, he is. But when Jesus ascended into heaven, the, the, the resurrected, glorified body of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. So Jesus is on his throne, the sovereignty of God, the rule of God, the reign of God, which I find incredible comfort in. 
Man, I find rest in the providence of God that Jesus, regardless of the chaos that surrounds my life, regardless of the chaos that defines and surrounds, that consumes your life, Jesus is on his throne. He's in control, always and forever. And so we find these incredible Old Testament promises coming to fruition in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me wrap this up. Jesus wasn't God's plan B for humanity. Jesus wasn't a divine divine contingency plan. Jesus didn't just show up out of nowhere. But the tragedy is this. The very people that were given the promises of God, the very people that were chosen by God, that received preferential treatment by God, they should have been the first to recognize him, were the ones that tortured and murdered him. It's not just that they missed it, it's that they really missed it. It's not just that they didn't recognize him as the Messiah, it's that they crucified him. Jesus has always been and always will be the epicenter of God's plan of redemption. Now let me conclude with the question of allegiance. Let me drive this home. Because some of you guys are sitting out there like, hmm, Interesting, Pastor. Very interesting. Let me drive this home into all of our lives with the question of allegiance. You know, I did a little research, and some of you can fact check me. How many of you guys are, are newcomers that have gone through the citizenship process in Canada? Okay, there's one. Welcome. Well, I'm in that process now. There we go. I um, am in the process of applying to be a permanent resident of this great country. Do you think they'll let me in? (laughs) Still waiting on that background check to come. (laughs) But what I read is this, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I hope after I'm a permanent resident for a certain length of time, then I get to what? I get to become a citizen, right? And then I get to vote, okay? The only thing a permanent resident can't do really is, is vote. And so for me, I'm looking forward to the day where I take this oath. And trust me, for a Texan to take an oath of allegiance to another place, it's the Lord. <laughs> really for an American, I guess. But, but to, this is what I discovered. To become a citizen of Canada, you must take the following oath. I swear that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth. Okay. If you don't know, uh, your southern neighbors don't share your warmth for the royal family that Canadians do. Uh, We left home in a different fashion than Canadians did. Her heirs and successors, and that I will faithfully observe the laws of Canada and fulfill my duties as a Canadian citizen. This is a pledge of allegiance to my new home, to my new country. And if called upon, I will defend you know, my new home and my new country and the way of life that is represented here. Now, this was taken to court right? because someone said, I, don't, I want to be a Canadian, but I don't want to pledge allegiance to the queen. But the Court of Appeals, and again, you can fact check me on this. 
The Court of Appeals ruled that new citizens were not literally swearing allegiance to the queen, but symbolically to Canada's form of government and the unwritten constitutional principle of democracy. And let me drive this home here because when I become a citizen of Canada one of these years and I'm, I pledge allegiance to Queen Elizabeth II, I'm, I've never met her, likely never will, right? I don't know her, right? And to be honest with you, there's no heartfelt loyalty to this person. I'm sorry, right? I just lost some of you, <laughs> but there really isn't, you know? And so for me, it's a symbolic gesture I'm going through the motions of the ceremony. It's ceremonial. But some of us, listen, let's drive this home here. Some of us have made this symbolic commitment to this allegorical kingdom, to Jesus. So in the same way that a citizen that really doesn't care about Queen Elizabeth, but you're going through the motions of the ceremony, some of you that don't really care about Jesus, King Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, some of you have made this ceremonial commitment, this symbolic commitment to this metaphorical king or even this theological king. And it hasn't really hit home that it's real, that he is a king, whether we realize it or acknowledge it or not. And here's what happened for some of us is that we have invited Jesus, not just to be our savior, but to be our Lord. And I believe you really can't have one without the other. Some people say, well, Jesus is my savior, but I'm still working on the Lord part. It's Lord and savior. And so when you, some of us have overthrown the sovereign in our lives, some of us have evicted Jesus from the throne room and guess who's sitting on the throne. That's right. Numero uno. And I will allow Jesus access into my courts. I will allow Jesus time and I will give him access to certain parts of my kingdom. Certain parts. But listen, that's not the way it works. Where does your allegiance really lie? Jesus is not asking for symbolic allegiance to an allegorical kingdom. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he demands total allegiance and absolute loyalty. And so the response for us today is this. The response, I'm going back to that one word that broke centuries of prophetic silence. How did God choose to speak after 400 years of silence with one word, repent? And that's the word that I'm concluding with today, that we need to... We need to step off the throne of our lives, fall before the feet of the King of Kings and repent of our arrogance, repent of our pride. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for attempting to overthrow your rule in my life. To repent. Are you a part of the kingdom of heaven? Today, I challenge all of us to swear allegiance, real heartfelt loyalty to King Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that guides and directs and illuminates, that takes your word and provides nourishment to our lives. Thank you for the unfolding plan of redemption, this progressive revelation from Genesis to Revelation, Lord, 
And thank you for Jesus being the absolute epicenter of it all. At the center of salvation is a cross. Thank you, Lord, for taking the initiative. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you for providing a way for us to access your presence and the covenant blessings through the perfect obedience of your son that we might receive his righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for the kingdom and allowing us to be your subjects. In Jesus' name. If you're looking for ways to connect, find us on Facebook or YouTube. Just check out the show notes for details. Thank you for tuning in. I hope and pray that this has been a blessing in your life. And I hope that you'll continue the conversation with God by opening his word for yourself. Love y'all.